Amen, right? If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of Genesis, chapter 22. And uh, if you're using one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you, I think it's page 65. Uh, It was 14 months ago, almost to the day, uh, that I visited Nacogdoches for the very first time. I had uh, been talking with the pastor search team for a number of weeks. I had met some of them who had come to Ohio, uh, where I was serving. Uh, But I came to Nacogdoches a couple of days after Christmas 2016 to meet the rest of the team and to uh, just get a feel for the church and the and the community to uh, tour the city and so while I was here I wanted to collect as much information as I could and uh, one of the things I did a number of things but one of them uh, is as soon as I checked into the hotel I think it was the Hampton Inn down south of here uh, I asked the lady who checked me in I think she was uh, probably mid to late 20s I, I said ma'am I, I, I'm on a business trip here and but I'm thinking about moving to Nacogdoches and if I do so Uh, What church should I attend? And she said, well, I don't go to church, uh, but if I were to go to church, I would start at the First Baptist Church on North Street because they are the busiest church in town. She said, every time I drive by that church, the parking lot is filled with cars. I have no idea what they do in those buildings, but that's where I would go first. And you know, if I could talk to that lady today, uh, after being your pastor for almost a year, uh, I would tell her why this is such a hive of activity. It is because we love our church. Uh, One of the things I have been most impressed with, with the First Baptist Church of Nacogdoches is that we, not just you, but now we love our church. And that's something I want to be communicated throughout our community. I want everybody in Nacogdoches to know that we love our church. I want our ministries, whether it's a children's ministry event, a youth event, a college event, Uh, uh, Andrea, a a musical event that we do here in the sanctuary. I want everything we do to communicate to our community uh, that we love our Lord and we love our church. I want that to be your testimony. When you talk to neighbors, when you talk to your extended family, uh, when you're talking to people at work and at school, I want them to hear you say that you love your Lord and you love your church church. I want our buildings and our grounds to say the same thing. I want people as they, as they drive by our church and just look at our grass and our windows and our walls uh, to have the distinct impression that at that place, those people love the Lord and love their church. I want people when they come into our building, as they come into our worship center, as they come into Uh, our youth ministry area. I want them to have that distinct impression. I want them to understand something of our love uh, for our Lord and our love for our church. And so, because of that, last week we embarked on a campaign where we're focusing on some needs that our facilities have 
so that they will communicate to everybody the love that we have for the Lord and the love that we have for our church. Now, I won't take the time today to detail some of those needs like we did last week. If you weren't here last week, I would encourage you, if you're a church member, you need to listen to that message. Uh, because in that message, we shared some information that you need to know. And so it's available uh, video and audio online. If you need assistance in listening to that, just call the office and we can help you with that. Uh, so we detailed a number of the things last week. Let me just highlight some of them today. We have needs in many different areas of our church that run the gamut from cosmetic needs to serious structural needs. Uh, there are places, even in this worship center, even in this sanctuary, where you can look around and see that we need to pay some special attention. The pews that you're sitting in, uh, the, uh, the water stains in places on the ceiling, the carpet, and some of those things need to be addressed. And then there are other places. We need a new kitchen. Uh, we have a kitchen, I think, that dates back uh, to Christopher Columbus, and we need to update it. It needs electricity and gas and running water, and we need, we need to update our kitchen. Uh, we need um, improvements in our fellowship hall. We need improvements with access in and out of the building. I'm embarrassed to tell you this morning that our elevator, our main worship center elevator, has failed again. Uh, hopefully, uh, it will be repaired by the end of the service. Uh, Otis is uh, here or on their way. I don't know which. Uh, but those kind of things need to be addressed. Uh, there, there are issues all over our campus. As I said, from a cosmetic uh, need all the way to a more serious structural need. Uh, it's time for us uh, here to address some of these needs. We're, we're not the first people. This isn't the first time these needs have been addressed. Our church has done a good job of taking care of our facilities in years past. But as we come now to 2018, there are some definite needs. Uh, we said last week that we need to have at least as high a standard for our church as we would have for our homes. In Haggai chapter one, verse four, the, the Lord says through the prophet, ask the question, is it time for you to live in paneled houses while the Lord's house lies in ruin? Now the Lord's house is not lying in ruin. We don't wanna exaggerate uh, the situation, uh, but it seems to be that in many ways, in, in the last year, we have had a higher standard for our own homes than we have had for God's house. And so in this campaign, we hope to remedy that problem. And we're excited. I think it's gonna take a uh, million dollars, north of a million dollars for us to do everything that needs to be done. Uh, from fixing the kitchen, to dealing with the youth issues, to uh, helping with the water mitigation in the children's building, to fixing the pews in this building. Uh, all of those things together, uh, just north of a million dollars. So we have set some goals. Now we've spent a long time talking about these goals last week. Let me just be brief and tell you what they are. Three goals. First of all, a praise goal. We said that we would praise the Lord if God gave us, through the generosity of our people, $500,000. Now that's a lot of money, right? And that would be more money than we've raised in any single 
capital campaign uh, since we built the children's building well over a decade ago. And so if God were to give us $500,000 through your sacrificial giving, that would be reason to praise the Lord. And so that's our first goal. Uh, now that wouldn't meet a number of our needs. Our needs exceed what that offering would do, but that would take us down the road and we would be thankful. And so then though we came up with a second goal that would meet more of our needs, uh, we call it, or I'm calling it, the I stand amazed goal, $700,000. And I could take some time and tell you how I came up with this and why I would stand amazed, uh, but uh, let's, let's be careful with our time this morning and just tell you that goal number two is $700,000, I stand amazed, and that would help us take a number of further steps in renovating our facilities. But then the ultimate goal, uh, the hallelujah goal, $1 million. Now I'll tell you, that goal makes me nervous. I've never led a financial campaign where we didn't meet our highest goal. Uh, I would not have set the goal at $1 million, but as, as people in our church have come to me and encouraged me, as people have prayed, I have felt the leadership of the Lord to listen to them and, and listen hopefully to the Lord. And we have set our high goal at $1 million, which we believe would help us uh, to meet uh, and take care of most of the needs uh, that we have. People are getting excited about this. Uh, there, there are a number of ways we can tell. Uh, for one, we have a, uh, a prayer vigil that's happening this week. And the goal was that we would have people praying for 40 solid hours straight, no interruptions. Just praying that God would work through our people and work through this campaign so we could better reach our community for him and honor the Lord. And so we needed 120 people to sign up for that. And we were prepared to twist arms, to beg, to plead for people to sign up. Uh, we have not had to do that. We have already exceeded the 120. Last count I had was north of 135. You can still sign up today. We have extended the 40 hours to many more hours. I just think that's an indication that people are getting excited about what the Lord may do. Uh, I have had, um, well, either me or Marilyn Mayfield, who is our financial secretary, have had people come to us even before, now a week before uh, the, uh, the, the official date and say, hey, I wanna, I wanna make an early commitment. I, I wanna go ahead and give, some people have said. And even before we get started, let me tell you, $146,000 has been given or promised. And uh, we're not even there yet. I mean, we're not even at the, at the day yet. And I can tell you about that, uh, that group of people. It's, uh, it's just a small group of people. In fact, I was thinking this morning they would fit in your minivan, okay? It's that smaller group of people. And it's not, uh, it's not necessarily our biggest givers. We, we hadn't gone and sought out what we would suspect would be our biggest givers and asked them to make early commitments. It's just, it's just regular people. And uh, the, uh, the median commitment in that small group of people, not the average, if you know the difference between average and median, you, you know what this means, but the median, the middle commitment of that small group of people is still uh, a five-figure number over the next year. And, and, and that just says to me that, that normal, regular people are getting very excited, I think, about the, what the Lord is doing uh, through this campaign. Next week, I am praying will be a red letter day 
in the 134-year history of First Baptist Nacogdoches. And uh, I hope you'll pray with me as well. Now, before we get to the scripture focus, and that's, we're moving that way, that's, uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, but let me just interview myself for a few minutes, if I can, because people have asked some questions over the last week, and, and I think some of you may have some of the same questions, and I want to answer those. So question number one, what is with this banquet that we're doing on Saturday? Well, let me tell you, I am very excited about this. Stephanie and her team back there, uh, we have asked them not to put together the same old um, rubber chicken, green bean, stuffy banquet that uh, you may be familiar with, but to put together something that'll be a lot of fun. And so they have created this uh, indoor-outdoor picnic. We're going to have barbecue. Uh, we're going to have horses here. We're going we're gonna to be playing uh, washers. I don't even know what that is, but uh, I'm told it's fun. Uh, cornhole, horseshoes, all these kind of things. There's going to be a mechanical bull here. I've never seen one of those except on television, but uh, I've just been in Texas for a year. Um, there's going to be all kind of fun things to do. But listen, this is for everybody. Somebody said, well, it sounds like a children's event. Well, you ought to bring your children. They're going to have a lot of fun. But this isn't a children's event. This is for everybody. In fact, even if you're not interested in the campaign, and, and I understand if you're not interested, we've said from the beginning, if you don't want to give, don't give, but you ought to come and be a part of this. As, as the body of Christ here locally comes together and just enjoys each other's company, encourages one another, everybody who is a part of our church needs to be a part of this banquet. If you're a senior adult and it's difficult for you to get out at night, I understand. This is, this is an important event in the life of our church. Call us this week at the church. We will find a way, we will do our best to find a way for you to get here and for you to get home safely that night. Um, we're gonna give you a gift while you're here uh, at the banquet. Uh, we're gonna share some things at the banquet that you'll not hear anywhere else, and so you're gonna wanna be there for the information. We have a gifted communicator coming in, Dr. Rich Halcom. Uh, God has used him to do extraordinary things for the advancement of the kingdom of God around the country and around the world, and uh, he's gonna come in and be sharing with us that night. It's gonna be a lot of fun. The food's gonna be good. Uh, so um, I hope you'll come be a part of that. Now you need to RSVP. Uh, because we can't have a hundred extra people show up at the last minute uh, because uh, you'll have to eat the washers <laughs> instead of the barbecue. So you saw at the beginning of the service that you can uh, RSVP by calling the church or by going to our website, but I want to make it even easier than that. In your worship bulletin, there is a little perforated sheet and you can tear that off. Well, do it better than I did it, but uh, you can tear it off, write your name on here and how many people will be attending with you at the banquet and just drop this in, one of these wooden boxes that you'll find here in the front and in the back uh, as you leave today, and you are RSVP'd. You are, we have your spot. We have your gift, and we have your food, and it'll be ready to go. And uh, this is your one-time permission to be distracted during a sermon and uh, write, something, write something else down. So that's the banquet, that's the banquet. Now, question number two, a serious question. What are we gonna do? What exactly are we gonna do, pastor, with the money that has been given? Well, I wish that we could present to you exactly a plan 
here is precisely what we're going to do, precisely what it's going to cost, and here are the precise dates that we're going to finish. Uh, when I have led capital campaigns in the past, that's always been our practice. We have the project, we have the bids, we have the, we have the plan, we have the dates. Uh, but the nature of this project and the nature of my short tenure as your pastor uh, has presented some challenges. And so how we're going to approach this, if our offering is $500,000, and how we're going to approach this whole project if the offering is a million dollars, are entirely different. If it's 500,000, we're not gonna come back and beg you for the other 500,000. We're gonna take what you give and we're gonna figure out a way to do the best we can to, uh, to cover as many needs as we can with what you give. Uh, this is what you give determines the budget for this. If you give a million, that's gonna look a lot different. And so I understand that in a capital campaign that clarity on the front end gets you buy-in on the back end. And I would love to give you greater clarity. But the, here's the way we're gonna have to give you clarity on this. First, I want you to trust our team. Uh, we've picked almost 25 people to serve on a renovation team. Uh, they're very representative of the church. We are intentional about that. They're older people and younger people. They're men, they're women, they're funny looking people, they're normal looking people. It's very representative of the church and uh, I think we can trust them. We can trust them. That's the reason why there's such a large team is because uh, we want to make sure that it's a representative team. Uh, I also uh, want you to trust um, our, our project manager. So Steve Parkey has uh, recently come on staff at our church. And while he's recent to our staff, he is not recent to our church. Uh, many of you know Steve. He's been a deacon in our church for a number of years. Steve recently retired. Uh, as uh, the manager, as the top dog at a power plant, uh, which I understand is at least medium complex, right? And so if you can run a power plant, you can manage this project. And so he will be our project manager through this uh, renovation. And uh, that gives me uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of comfort. Uh, we will be careful spenders of the money. Uh, so while we wanna do things the right way, I can tell you as, as the pastor, and I'm not going to be involved in probably a lot of the decisions, but I'll be involved in this decision, uh, and I trust the team has the same heart, uh, we, we're not going to gold plate anything. You know, for instance, when we build a kitchen, we want it to be a nice kitchen. We want it to be functional. We want it to, be, uh, to have all of the things that uh, our ministries need for it to have. But we're not going to build a kitchen that people are going to travel from a thousand miles away to come and look at. This isn't going to be a Cadillac kitchen. We're, we're not building a showroom. We're, we're building a tool for ministry. And so we will take that approach with every part of this, that we want to do it right. We want to do it in a way that is durable. But we want to be frugal so that we can go on to the next ministry project and you can be assured of that. Now, the next question. Uh, Pastor, wouldn't it be smarter for me to just hold back my promise or my commitment or my money until summer, until some later time when I can see if there's an emergency, if there's a financial crisis, if once I see how things go, then I may want to invest in this? Well, I think that's a good question. And I appreciate that we have a number of people in our church who are committed to to, to making sure we don't ever get in a hole. And, and that's good, it's good to have those kind of people. 
But this is a different kind of project. We are going to size the project to the gifts and the promises that are made next week. We're not going to come back to you in three months and have a financial crisis. <laughs> this isn't a government project. No offense if you work for the government. Uh, but we're not, going to, we're not going to start running and then come back in July and say, hey, we're broke. We need another quarter million dollars. No, whatever is committed, we're going to size the project to that, and that's all we're going to do. And so the commitments that, that are made next week are going to determine uh, the size and the scope of the project. Now, next question. How much should I give? That's the $64,000 question. And $64,000 would be a good answer to that question if you want to give that amount. Now, listen. I want everybody to give whatever the Lord tells you to give. I want you to pray. I want your family to pray. I don't want you to give more than you feel like the Lord wants you to give. I just want you to be obedient. I, God never asks us for more than obedience, and nobody would stand at this pulpit and ask you for more than obedience either. Let's just do what God tells us to do. Now, some people will give a lot more than others, but God is the one who multiplies all of the gifts. Let's just be fully participating. Let's be bold. Let's be sacrificial. And let's just give what the Lord tells us to give. Uh, I can tell you for my part, uh, we're going to do that. We're going to talk as a family. I'm going to talk to my kids. Don and I will pray. Whatever the Lord says give, that's what we'll give. It won't be as much as some. It'll be more than others. Uh, but we're just going to try to be faithful. This is not, for the dear family, a real convenient time for us. I mean, just like maybe for some of you. We just bought a house, renovated a house. Uh, one of my uh, daughters just had braces put in her mouth. Uh, it, 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 you, you just can't imagine what braces cost if you've not done that in recent years. Uh, my wife tells me she is in desperate need of a car. I'm, I'm, I'm telling her we've got three bicycles. I don't know what the issue is. <laughs> got a kid in college, another kid who, who thinks she's going to go to college. Um, this is not the best time for us. I mean, we're fine. We don't need any money. I mean, the Lord and the church take very good care of me and my family. But this is the time I would have picked for us to step outside what we ordinarily would do to give. But I'm trusting that if, if me and my family, and I say this from experience as well, if we will just be faithful and obedient, then God will provide for us on the other end. And I'm just asking everybody uh, to do the same thing uh, whether your number appears to be a big number or a small number. Now, we need some people to give big numbers. But mo what we need most is for people just to be obedient. Uh, you be faithful, and I promise you God will be as well. Now, how can I give? So we'll talk more about this next week. But uh, in, oh, wrong card. In everybody's worship bulletin, we put a card this morning. We also mailed one of these to you. And then we will provide another card next week along with a privacy envelope. And what we will ask you to do is to fill this out. You can do it at home and bring it, uh, or you can do it when you get to church next week. You'll have an envelope where you can place this card so it's nobody's business but you and the Lord. And, uh, and next week, we're just going to ask people to give. Now, the card's pretty self-explanatory, so I won't go over it now. But if you have any questions, please let us know. Uh, you, can give tomorrow, you can give next week. You can promise to give at a future date. Or you can, what my family will do, we'll both give next week and uh, we will commit over a monthly gift over the next 12 months. So you do what fits with your finances. Now, people have asked questions about securities. 
so I had a conversation with more than one person last week about securities. There are some distinct advantages to you and to us if you're a large giver and want to give financial securities, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Now, I'm not an advisor. I'm not going to try to explain that. But if you're interested in giving that way, contact your financial advisor. They can explain the advantages. And then what I want you to know is we are prepared to receive that. And so we made arrangements this last week. You can simply call the church office. You will be put in touch with our financial secretary and she has all the information that your broker or advisor may need in order for you to, uh, to give uh, financial securities. Now, how would you put that on your card? Uh, you would just put what you think is the estimated value and then you could write on the back, I'll give you a call about the securities. We don't need lists. We don't need a lot of specifics on here, but, uh, but that's an option for your giving. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Can we do that? There is one thing that it's uh, on everybody's mind, and so we might as well just get it out there. Nobody likes to talk about giving. Now, I'm top of the list. I, uh, I, I will preach a bunch of times this year, and the sermons that I'm looking forward to are not these two or three sermons that focus on giving, and you're not looking forward to listening to them, right? Uh, nobody likes to talk about giving. Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? We know that Jesus says where your, tre- where your heart is, where your treasure is, <laughs> I get that backwards, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. We know that the Apostle Paul says that it's because we misunderstand or, or don't embrace God's principles about money that we face uh, regret and remorse, that we are pierced through with many sorrows. So why is it that it's so hard and so uncomfortable to talk about giving? Well, I don't think it's because we don't understand what God says. We, we understand it. God says to give cheerfully. God says to give regularly. God says to give uh, generously and sacrificially. The Bible talks about a tithe, that we ought to give 10%, and then we ought to give above 10%. Now, that's pretty easy to understand. Most of you have been in church for a number of years. You, you could spit that out. You know that. It's easy to understand. So the difficulty is not in understanding. The difficulty also is not in actually doing it, right? You give money away all the time. If you go to a restaurant today, at the end of your meal, what are they going to want you to do? They're going to want you to make an offering, right? And you've got to give. If you don't, you've got to wash some dishes. I mean, we, we give all the time. So it's not hard to do the physical act of giving. I don't even think it is hard to appreciate why a person would want to give. But we're, you're here for a reason, Right? Most people here, you know Christ is your savior. You're here because you want to honor the Lord. You believe it's important that the Bible is taught. You believe it's important that we share the gospel here and around the world. I mean, if I were talking to just some random crowd of people, you can understand that it might be hard for them because they don't see the need, but you do see the need. So why is it so hard for people to give? I think it's hard because we struggle with trust. I think if, and I've given this a lot of thought, I think it boils down to this one thing. We just don't trust the Lord enough. I remember when my kids were young, very young, before they could swim, and we would be in a pool, and I would be 
you know, in the water, in the, in the deep end, and I would be asking my kids to jump. I mean, every dad has done this, right? It's sort of the highlight of being a dad. It's downhill from there, so enjoy it. But um, <laughs> you, you ask your kids to jump, and you promise that you will catch them. And then you, you, watch, you watch their faces. It's a frightful thing. It's difficult. Now, why is it hard for them to jump? Not because they can't jump. They know how to jump. It's hard because they're not sure they can trust you. And it's the same thing with giving. The reason why it's hard to give is because sometimes we're just not sure we can trust the Lord. And so I want to help you with that this morning. I want us to look at this account in Genesis chapter 22, the most beautiful story of trust in the history of history. And uh, I want us to learn today how to trust. Can I can I show you from God's word how to trust? And um, I think this will change, this will change our perspective. And so just to give special reverence uh, to, the, to the value and to the uh, uh, inerrancy, the perfection of God's word, let me ask you to stand and I want us to read a couple of verses, two or three verses together here. Genesis chapter 22, this is uh, uh, this is a historical event, really happened, and it is a picture of trust. And so it says in verse 1, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there, listen to this, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Abraham had prayed for Isaac for decades. God finally gave Abraham a son, and now he says, Abraham, I'm gonna test you. I want you to take your son to this far off mountain and, and offer him as a sacrifice on that mountain. That's your test. Can you imagine how hard it would be to trust the Lord in that? Please be seated. I want us to look at this incredible story, and it, it, it runs on for another dozen or so verses. I want us to look at this incredible story, and I just want us to learn some lessons about trust. For Abraham to do that, can you imagine if you were in that situation? If God said, offer one of your children as a sacrifice, I mean, there would be so many problems with that. And, and the biggest problem would be, could I really trust God? Abraham did. And he teaches us some things about trust. And I want us to see them as we just walk through, this, uh, walk through this passage a verse at a time. So look at verse 3. So Abraham got up early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Now let's just stop there. Because there we see the very first lesson about trust. Lesson number one, true trust doesn't stall or delay. How long did Abraham take before he was obedient to what God told him to do? Immediately. See, God said do it. It says the first thing the next morning, he was obedient to what God told him to do. True trust never waits. You know, so many of us, we're given a command and we, we say, well, I'm going to do that later on. I'm going to do that uh, a week from now. I'm going to do that at a, at a more convenient time in life. But listen, no, true trust always acts immediately. I think too many of us have a plan to trust. 
There's a difference between trusting God and having a plan to trust. And our plan looks like this. We have young people who say, well, I'm going to trust God when I get out of high school. Or I'm going to trust God when I get married. Or I'm going to start trusting God and living for God when I have children. Or I'm going to start trusting God when I don't have children anymore. Or I'm going to trust God when I get retired. And we have these plans that one day we're going to trust God. But listen, there is no future component to trust You cannot trust God in the future. You can only trust God today. And what we learn from this is that if it's not trust today, then it's not trust. Abraham trusted God in this incredible test and he trusted him today. Now, we didn't get very far. Let's continue to look at verse three. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac and he split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place that God had told him about. Here's the second thing I see. True trust doesn't require all of the details before it acts. Now you notice it's the next day He's got the wood, he's, uh, he's got his servants, he's got the animal, he's got his son, and God still hasn't explained how all this is going to work out. Don't you know that Abraham sat up all night long trying to figure out how he was going to offer his son as a sacrifice, but still keep his son, and he was hopeful, I'm certain, that God was going to fill in the details, but it's time to go now, and he still doesn't know how it's going to work out. But see, trust doesn't require the details. Trust, just trust. I mean, if you knew all the details, if you knew how everything was going to work out, it wouldn't be trust anymore. It's only trust because you don't know how it's going to work out. Trust is when you are obedient, even though you don't see exactly how God is going to provide. Have you ever done a trust fall? Do you know what that is? In my younger years as a pastor, I, I did this in a service one time. I climbed up on a ladder and I had the deacon standing there and I, and I fell off to prove a point. And um, they dropped me. I, I was in the hospital for three weeks. No, no, they, they caught me. Uh, but I, I'll be honest with you, when I got to the top of the ladder, uh, had there not been several hundred people watching, <laughs> I would have climbed back down that ladder and we just called it a day. But uh, there was a little peer pressure going on and, uh, and I trusted them and they caught me. But if you've ever done that, you know, that's hard. It's easy to think about it until you get up there and you start looking backwards and you start to fall and it's a hard thing to do. Why, why is that hard? Well, it's hard because you don't know are you know, those guys going to be distracted? Are they going to be checking their email on their phone? Are they strong enough? There are just so many questions. Do they, do they like me? Do they want another pastor? I mean, this was a great opportunity to change. So all those things are going through your mind. There are so many questions. That's, but that's why it's trust. So when I go home this afternoon, I'm probably going to take a nap on my couch. Now, when I lay on my couch, that's no problem at all. I don't get nervous laying on my couch. I don't think, oh no, am I gonna die? No, because my couch has held me up every Sunday for as long as I've owned it, right? There's no, there's no mystery there. Trust is only trust when you act without all of the information. And so Abraham, that's what he did. He didn't know how this was gonna work out, how God was gonna provide. That's, that's what trust is. Trust is when you go on a mission trip and you don't know how you're going to be taken care of safety-wise, but you go anyway. 
Trust is when you uh, agree to a, a ministry assignment and, and you don't know how it's going to work out. Trust is when you write a check. When you get your paycheck, you write a tithe check, trusting that somehow God's going to provide for you and meet your needs. Even if you don't know how, that's trust. It doesn't require all of the details. Now, let's continue to read verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So he's walked for three days. Now think about this. What we learn here is that trust does not look for an easier option. See, he had to go for three days to get to this mountain that God had told him to go. If Abraham would have been like many of us, what would he have done? He would have found an easier way. I mean, why go to the mountain three days away when there's a perfectly fine mountain right here? Or why offer my son Isaac when I could offer you know, you know, uh, one of the animals out of the, uh, out, out of the pen out there, out of the field. But, but Abraham was committed, even though it was a difficult path, Abraham was committed to do it. He didn't look for a shortcut. And real trust, true trust, never looks for a shortcut. It just looks for obedience. You know, when it comes to giving, and I know this because, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a normal person. I struggle with things like everybody else. When it comes to giving, we often look for shortcuts, right? I read something a couple of weeks ago I thought I'd share with you. This is a made-up story, but it, it may hit close to home. Uh, it, it was about a, a family. They decided that they were going to tithe. They, they were going to give 10% to uh, the work of the Lord to their local church. And for them, a tithe was $500 a month. They figured it up. They did the math. It was $500 a month. So they said they wanted to give more than a tithe. I mean, they wanted to be really generous. So we're going to give $501. I mean, we're just, I mean, we're going to go, we're going to push to the max. And so, so 501, that's going to be our standard. But then they got to thinking, we bought $2 worth of crayons for the kids Sunday school class last week. We need to subtract that. So now we're at 499 and we sent three birthday cards to church members. And so we had to buy the cards, the stamp, the, the, you know, the, the gas to get to the post office. Now we're down to 493. We make about 12 trips to church uh, every month. And if you figure in the miles and you subtract that off, now we're at 447. Had to replace the alternator in my car because it broke on the way back from church last week. And so now I'm down to 265. My time is valuable. I spend about eight hours a month in the worship service. And so you, you subtract that out. Now I'm at 145. I, I gave $5 to a homeless guy, so now I'm down to 140. I need to buy an $800 table, dining room table, before the Sunday school class comes over next week for the fellowship. And so the way I figure it, the church owes me $640 this month. I mean, people are always looking for a shortcut, right? But if we trust, true trust doesn't look for shortcuts. And it, it was true for Abraham, the greatest example of trust. And it'll be true of those who trust the Lord today. Now, let's continue to read verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, what we learn here is that trust, true trust, is unwavering. Because, see, this would have been the best time for Abraham to quit. So, you know, he left out early the next morning. I mean, he was obedient in the beginning. He walks for three days. He's waiting for God to provide. He gets to the bottom of the mountain. Right up at the top of that mountain is where the dirty deed is going to happen, where he's going to offer his son as a sacrifice. And so, I mean, he's here. I mean, it's time to fish or cut bait, right? And this is the time most people would quit. But, but Abraham said, no, 
Guys, you wait right here. Me and Isaac in the wood and the knife and the fire, we're going up the mountain. It is time to do this. He was committed to the task. Now, many of you, most of you perhaps know the end of the story. Isaac is not going to die. God's going to provide in a miraculous way at the end of the story. But do you know why most people never see in their lives the miracle working power of God? I mean, what if Abraham would have quit? What if he'd have just gone home at this point and he told his wife, say, listen, I don't know. God said, do it. I thought he would provide. He didn't. Well, if Abraham would have quit here, the reason why God wouldn't have provided is because he didn't get all the way to the end. Why do most of us never see the miracle working power of God? Because we never go to the end. Because we quit when it gets hard. Because we never go out on a limb and really trust the Lord. God, God's miracle working power often happens at the last minute. God's miracle working power, we see that when we give faithfully and we go all the way out saying, God, you're going to have to give your provision and you're going to have to give your protection because I don't know what else to do. That's when we see God. Why do missionaries come home from the mission field, and they share stories of miracles that we never see in our churches here in America. It's because they're going out on a limb and they're putting themselves into situations where if God doesn't come through, they're in big trouble. We don't take any risks at all. It's almost as if we don't need God. We are so careful. But see, true trust is unwavering. It finishes the task. Now, let's look at verses, verse six. We got to keep, keep moving on here. Uh, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, laid it on his son, Isaac. Imagine how all this works. Uh, in his, um, in his hand, he took the, the fire and the knife and the two of them walked on together. And then Isaac spoke to his father and said, my father, and he replied, here I am, son. And so here's the question that Abraham's been scared to death about for three days. Isaac asks this, we have the fire, we have the wood, but where is the lamb for the offering? Now, you know the question, Isaac, you are the lamb for the offering. And I bet Abraham had a lump in the back of his throat for three days. When am I going to tell Isaac that he is the offering? And so finally, Isaac asks the question, look at verse eight. Abraham said, I imagine with tears and with a lump in his throat, God himself, son, will provide the lamb for the offering. And the two of them walked on together. Now here's what we learned from this. True trust inspires others to trust. Why did Isaac trust? Because his dad trusted. His dad said, listen, I trust God. And we go get up on top of that mountain and, um, I'm going to tie you down. You know, we often think of this story as Abraham, you know, grown man and, and little Isaac. And, you know, Abraham ties Isaac down. But no, if you, if you work the math in the Bible, you know how old Isaac was? He's probably 30, 35 years old. Probably about the same age that Jesus was when he died on the cross. That's a whole other sermon that you may hear soon. But, um, but for Abraham, an old man, to tie his 33-year-old son down, his son had to cooperate. Why did his son have so much faith? He had it because his dad had it. He's, your faith is contagious. 
I want my kids to grow up and have faith and trust in God. When their marriage is complicated, I want them to trust God. When their, when their careers or their finances tank one day, I want them to trust God. When the medical news is not good, I want my kids to grow up with this incredible trust in the Lord. You know where they'll learn that? They've got to see it in their daddy first. They've got to see it in their grandfather. If you're a, you're a, grand, you're a grandparent here, they've got to see it in you first. I want my kids to know, hey, here's what we're giving to this offering. Here's what we give uh, the church on a regular basis. I want them to see that, that mom and dad trust. Because listen, trust is contagious. That's how we teach. That's how Isaac trusted because Abraham trusted. And I want my kids to trust. And the way I communicate that is I show them that I trust. That I, that I trust. Well, let's continue to read verses 9 and 10. Um, when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and he bound his son, his 33-year-old son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood, and then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. That's hard to even read. But here's what we learn here. True trust doesn't quit before the task is complete. Uh, he was committed. He was committed to the end. Let's continue to read, um, uh, well, or, or, or I should say something else to notice there in verse 10. True trust trumps fear. Do you think Abraham was scared? I mean, he was a man's man, I know. But let's just be honest. Do you think he was scared? I think he was scared to death. I think his heart had never beat as hard. I think his blood pressure had never been as high. I don't think he had ever perspired like he was perspiring that day. See, trust doesn't mean that we're, not, that we're not frightened. Trust is when we act even though we have fear. Does that make sense? Trust overcomes fear. Trust is, I'll jump in the water, Dad, even though I don't know how to swim. Trust, trust triumphs over fear. And then look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or anything, do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. So now he's proven his, his trust. Since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And so Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. So the last thing we learn is that true trust is rewarded by the Lord. Abraham trusted God to the end, and God came through. That's the God we serve. He always comes through. Now, not if we quit before we get to the end, not if we delay our obedience, but if we get to the end, God comes through. I think about Luke 6, 38, just in reference to giving. Give, and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. God rewards trust. Now, we're out of time, but let's do this. We've looked at this with a microscope. We've gone through every verse in the story. But let me step back and share with you very quickly just three big lessons we learned. We won't spend much time on any of these. But let me share with you three big lessons we learn as we step back and look at this account. Lesson number one, giving is a test of trust. What we learn from this is that giving is a test of trust. You saw it back in the very first verse that we read when we were standing. 
After these things, God tested Abraham. But listen, when you take a test in school, the teacher or the professor is trying to determine for themselves what it is that you know, right? So they give you a test and they're going to see how much you know. When God gives a test, it's different from that. God already knows. When God tests you, it's not so that he can find out. God tests you so that you can find out. See, God gives you a test of your faith, of your trust, so that you will know whether or not you trust. And so this test for Abraham, God wasn't in heaven scratching his head wondering whether or not Abraham really trusted him. God knew if Abraham trusted him or not. What God was trying to do was to communicate to Abraham whether or not he trusted. And giving, or any kind of obedience like this really, but giving in our context is a test of your trust. Just like you go to the doctor and they do a blood test and the results of that blood test will tell them some things about your physical health. You can look at your giving and you can tell something about whether or not you trust God. You don't trust God. Listen, I'm not saying this to get you to give more. I'm saying this because you need to know your grade on this test. You don't trust God if you don't give. You can't say I trust God if you won't be faithful to give. It is a test so that you will know whether or not you genuinely trust, trust the Lord. I had to terminate a minister on my staff a long time ago and uh, for, for not giving. And I had addressed it with him before, um, but the second time I addressed it with him, it, you know, it was in a different context. And I set him down and I said, you, you can no longer work here. And here's why, you, you're not giving. And he, he had a lot of excuses. He said, well, I didn't think the church really needed my money. Church seems like they're doing okay financially. Uh, he said, uh, there are extended members of my family I, that I, I know are giving a great deal of money to this church. And so, you know, as a family, we're giving a lot of, he had a lot of excuses. Um, he said, if, you know, if there's a problem, if there's a need around the church, let me know. I'll write a check for it. But I stopped him about 10 excuses into the explanation. And I said, listen, it's, I mean, you, you don't understand. This is, this is not an issue of money. We don't need your money. The issue here is that I just don't believe you trust God. And if you don't trust God, you can't be a minister on the staff. I mean, we're in the trust God business. That's what we do. Our giving is a test of our trust. And, and, and let me tell you one more thing about this. And I, and I may not even get to all the points here, but this is important. The hardest test of our trust in respect to giving is when it's not when we don't have anything you know some people think that the hardest time to trust God is when you're broke or the hardest time to trust God is when you don't have a job or when you when, when there's a when, when the doctor said you're dying of cancer I mean th those are hard times to trust God but that's not the hardest time the hardest time to trust God is when you have something now for Abraham he had been wanting to have a son for decades. And God said, just wait on me. I got a plan. Decade after decade. He trusted God for the most part. He made a mistake partway through that. But 
For the most part, he trusted God. When he didn't have a son and he wanted a son, he trusted God for a son. But you know what? What else was he going to do? <laughs> he, that was his only choice. I mean, that, that, was, that wasn't the test to trust God for a son when you don't have a son. No, here's the big test. Now he has a son. And God says, offer your son. You see how that's harder? Now he's got it. You, you know, the, the toughest test of trust is, is not for people that don't have money. The toughest test for trust is people with fully funded retirement accounts. The, 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 the toughest test of trust is when, when people have, have some means. Will you be a person who will be faithful to trust the Lord with the worldly possessions he's given you? Well, very quickly, because if I don't give you the blanks, some people will just uh, wig out on me. Let me tell you these last two. Uh, giving increases trust. Uh, if you want to have trust, you want to be a man or woman of great trust in the Lord, you know how you get there? Just give. Just go out on a limb and give. Just like physical muscles are strengthened the more we use them. You lift weights, what happens to your muscles? They get stronger. The spiritual muscle of trust is strengthened when you do it. Now, let, let's talk about, I mean, I've got two children here today. We'll have a lot of teenagers here today and children and college students. Uh, we, we're not, we're not going to be able to do a whole lot of renovation on the, on the backs of the contributions of college kids. I mean, I don't know if that's a surprise to you, but uh, they, they, if they gave everything they had, you know, we wouldn't be able to paint a wall. Uh, they just don't have, they don't have much money. But let me talk to, let me talk to young people. You want to grow up and be a man or woman who's used of God in a tremendous way because your trust in him is strong. You know where that starts? While you don't have much, be faithful to give what you have. Give some. Give something. Do something. Because every time you give, you're, you're, in, you're exercising that trust muscle. And it, it, I wish I had time to talk about David and Goliath. I'll take the time. Goliath was the, was the giant that nobody had enough faith to fight until little David showed up. And David said, I'll fight the giant. And the king said, well, how, how, do you, how can you fight the giant? He said, well, I trusted God when I fought the bear and I learned to trust God. And then I f trusted God when I fought the lion and my trust got a little bigger. Now I'm ready for Goliath. You see, trust grows. And then the last thing, uh, giving is an expression of trust. Uh, we, when we give, we say, we celebrate that we can trust the Lord. You know, every once in a while as a pastor, somebody will come to me and say, you know, I really think the best thing we could do to reach young people in our community is we could just, we ought to just take the offering out of the service, you know, because we don't want to, we don't want to put somebody on the spot by handing them a, a plate. But you know, no, we're not going to do that because giving is this is an expression of our worship. If somebody came to me and said, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a multi-multi-billionaire, and if you'll quit taking up offerings at your church, I'll just write a check for your budget every week. Would we take them up on that? No. Because it's not all about getting money. It's not all about meeting needs. It's about this is an expression of our worship. So let's do this. Head bowed, eyes closed. I know I've preached three and a half sermons this morning, but let me close with this. What does our billfold say? I mean, capital campaign aside, I mean, if, if you're not into the capital campaign, then write a check and send it to the church down the road. But let me just talk to you spiritually. What does our billfold say 
about our trust in the Lord. Father, help us to be mighty men and women of trust. Help us to learn from this incredible example. And let us celebrate what you're able to do through people who just trust you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing one verse of this song. Thank you.